The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome back to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander, right across from me is the one, the only, Tammy the Underdog Underwood. Say hi, Tam. Hi, everybody. That was a delay. No, Holy no, shit. I'm reading this sticky note I had on the side of my computer that I haven't seen in a long time. Did it say shower? No, it said Zhang Yong Ming. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? And then I remembered. So it's about an episode I want to do later. Oh, okay. But it's like when you read something, it's like, and I was reading it sideways going, what the fuck? What the heck does that mean? Cool. Talk more into your microphone. Yeah, well, I did it sideways on purpose. Help a brother out. <laughs> Whatever. All right, so today's part two of Dayton Leroy Rogers. The Malala Forest Killer. Yes, he is. Wow, wow. Yeah. All right, lay it on me. Okay, so we we established the fact that, you know, he's a very sadistic type of person that really likes rough, kinky sex. Oh, and screwdrivers, not the tool, but the drink. There ain't nothing wrong with any of that, by the way. You know what? In a normal person, no, there's not. I mean, I, I, I mean like, barring the killing. Well, that's yeah, not no, right, I but... mean, like I said, rough, kinky sex, not a problem. Screwdriver's uh, exactly. not the tool to drink, not a problem. Yeah, no kidding, unless it's a poorly made screwdriver, like, you know, oh, they I fill know, it mostly with... with orange juice and a splash Monarch of vodka. Monarch vodka? <laughs> yeah, or, yeah, Monarch vodka in there, and you're like, oh. Heavy I'm... on the vodka, light on the OJ. <laughs> what gets me is, like, I've actually had someone, and I, uh, uh, screwdrivers before, and, uh, you know, I tell them, don't use your bottom shelf vodka. Give me something middle of the line. You oh, know, yeah. Because I like a Greyhound with the grapefruit juice as opposed to orange juice is my favorite. Okay. Yeah. That yeah. works, you know. So, you know, start at freaking like, I don't know, Stully's or sure Absolute enough. even. Yeah. Or yeah. Absolute and work your way up. Yeah. But then occasionally they'll be like, you'll know, never know the difference. We'll use like Monarch and then yeah, I get no. mad. I look at it. Do I look like I'm homeless? <laughs> Do I look thing? like I drink lighter fuel? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I don't drink garbage. God dang, people! All right, so let's talk about good old Dayton here. I was just saying, unless it's ninety nine cent Vail vodka, then we're in. That's different. Vail's <laughs> you know, that's that's some quality shit right there, man. Yeah, for being low shelf, that's pretty good shit. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so remember, okay, the last we left him off, he was at that Denny's, and he had Getting stabbed that slam. shit down in uh, Woodburn area or in um, Happy Valley. You know the one on eighty second. Uh huh. Yeah. The one on the old 82nd, probably not the new 82nd, but I'm just saying because they have a bar there. But what do I know? (laughs) I could probably give you the address if you need it. (laughs) But anyways, so acting on a tip from one of his relatives, they actually, the cops actually returned to the Woodburn Repair Shop where uh, Dayton Lee Roy Rogers had a business, right? And they sifted ashes from a wood stove in his office. And that's where they found what appeared to be remnants of a burned tennis shoe. Okay? <laughs> and that... And analysts later determined that metal parts found in the wood stove also matched metal parts of the shoe that was discovered in the parking lot where another chick by the name of Jennifer Smith was murdered. They also found different pieces of glass, rhinestone, and sharp, star-shaped with, the, you know, grommets... You know what? And for people who don't know, that's like what's tooled in on your leather belts and jackets and stuff like and that. And then when they found the rhinestones, they started singing like a rhinestone cowboy. cowboy. 
the Glenn Campbell. Yeah. If y'all don't know who Glenn Campbell is, you are way too young to be listening to this No, podcast. and FYI, Rhinestone Cowboy, the movie, was filmed in Forest Grove at the old Ford's restaurant, which isn't there anymore. No way. Yeah, it's, it's actually a Thai restaurant now. God dang. Well, Thai went on for Rhinestone Cowboy. Bum, yeah. Bum. Just a little, just a little something, something right there. So Rogers, his truck had also been impounded shortly after he was arrested for that stabbing, right? After warrants had been obtained, and it was carefully, like thoroughly searched, according to more criminal, uh, criminal, what, forensic criminalists. There we go. That's what I was looking for. There was blood inside the cab of the pickup truck, several cuts from a knife on the dashboard, the upholstery, the ceiling, and the passenger door. Holy crap. So apparently he went like holy haywater on this, with this knife in his car at some point. They also found one fingerprint that matched Jennifer Smith's right ring finger on the outside handle of the passenger door. The examination and search also turned up a small green band in the bed of the pickup, which was later determined to be from a small container of ready-to-drink orange juice for his screwdrivers. So... Yeah, it's like nothing's adding up for poor old Wesley Allen. I mean, not Wesley Allen died. <laughs> Dane Leroy Rogers right now. He was framed. You think so? Oh, yeah. Okay. Then next, they tried to build a stronger case against him. They went to Willamette Falls Hospital in Oregon City to see how much of the suspect's story about his wounded hand was true. Because remember, he told him that he hurt himself and he had to go get, you know, hurt himself at the shop. So after they questioned the doctors and the um, the staff there, the doctor who attended to his wounds told them that the cuts were not jagged as they would have been if he were cut with a hacksaw blade, like he said. They had they were smooth, clean cuts like that which would have been caused by a knife, not the hacksaw. So even though they had a gut feeling that Dayton Leroy Rogers was the man they were looking for. They still assembled a photo lineup and um, with a group of six photographs that included him. And they displayed that in front of Michael Fielding, one of the witnesses. And it took him less than 20 seconds to pick out Dayton Leroy Rogers' photo. Right? Which I don't lay a whole lot of stock into those, but that's my own personal opinion because it's something that happened to me. But whatever. That's affirmative female inmate. Keep it up, young man. Man? Yeah. Yeah, kind of a little bit. <laughs> Doesn't help when you're up here, though. <laughs> it has to be straight on. <laughs> oh, that's true. Up here is more feminine. Negative female inmate. You over there. <laughs> you know what? If I could have heard him say it like that, I'd be even laughing harder right now. <laughs> Anyways, um, because Jennifer Smith was a known prostitute, and because of his continuous interest in hookers, you know, Roger's continuous in- interest in hookers, they, the detectives decide, you know what, let's hit the streets. That's the hookers on the hook beat what they think, right? So many of the hookers actually, that the ac- detectives actually talked to, said, yeah, that's him. That's the one that is in the kinky sex and the one that we know as Steve from Vegas, right? All and right. one of them even told them that she saw Jennifer walk towards his truck as if to get inside just hours before she was found dead. Now, they also learned that he nearly always told the girl that he, girls that he was a professional gambler. 
usually saying that he was either from Vegas and sometimes it was even Reno. And then he typically offered between $40 to $80 for a sexual scenario that involves some sort of bondage. Right? He always had the girls completely undressed, after which he would tie their hands and feet and at the wrists and ankles with some sort of rope, a dog collar, uh, nylon stockings, wire, shoelaces, or anything he could get his hands on to bind them. And then he would... but. Many of them said that he went far beyond bondage and would subject them to physical pain that resembled torture and mutilation without their consent, which I think that's screwed up. Is that a bad thing? Okay, without their consent. Key phrase. Is that, the, is, is that a bad thing? Um, yes, Scott. Oh, I don't care. I don't care what that last person told you when they were torturing you. It is a bad thing. <sighs> You know, because a 20 is a 20, Scott. That's right. I'm not gay, but, you know, 50 uh, 50 is a 50. So one prostitute even told the detectives that Rogers was known to have a foot fetish. And he found women's arches sexually arousing. An interesting point the detectives noted, considering that Jennifer was barefoot when her body was found. And even more prostitutes said that of all the, quote, Dates that occurred in the cab of Roger's pickup truck. He usually began by drinking vodka and orange juice and usually stopped at a convenience store where he bought ready-to-drink orange juice with small classic containers. So he's like, always had to have a screwdriver on hand, right? Mm-hmm. One of the prostitutes even went with detectives to a convenience store and picked out the brand of orange juice that Dayton bought, at you know, that he usually frequented. In small plastic caters, containers with those green plastic caps with the security bands. Just like the ones that they found in his pickup truck. And he usually bought vodka in the in the individual serving one and a half, you know, airline bottles is what we call them. You know what I'm talking about. I wish we knew the brand so that way they were going to endorse it. And, you know, endorsed by Dayton Leroy Rogers. I'm sure they don't tell us the brand on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> but consider this. I mean... I would say it's, and I, I don't think Monarch really does the individual sizes. Um, Thank God Monarch doesn't. Jesus Christ. That's no, but nasty. I'm trying to think of another one that does. Miranoff, I know, does. Yeah. So maybe it's that one. Because that's been around a long time. Bill Vodka does. Yeah, but they haven't been around a whole long time, have uh, they? They're delicious. I know, right? That's how we got started. Now I'm an alcoholic. Thank you, Bill Vodka. Oh, I thought you were going to thank me. I was going to say you're welcome. One of the prostitutes told, told the detectives that Rogers picked her up one time and said that he would pay her $50 just for some straight sex. No kink, no nothing. However, he tied her hands and feet and tortured her for hours, including biting her breasts, her buttocks, and her feet hard enough to draw blood. Then another prostitute said that she was subjected to the same type of treatment, except for he threatened to cut off her breasts with a knife if she didn't do what he wanted. Then there was another prostitute that told them that Rogers had cut off her clothes with a machete. And then another one said he cut the heel of her foot with a carving knife. One of the women even said that he had subjected her to so much pain during a six hour ordeal that she asked him to kill her and he didn't. But then he would masturbate like continuously. He'd like to masturbate during those encounters, whether he had physical sex with them or not. What's wrong with that? I'm not 
Okay, first of all, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it on a consensual level. Oh, well, okay, I suppose. Because I'm thinking to myself, you know, sometimes I masturbate if I see a butterfly. Everybody's got, don't judge me. Don't. I know I know you're out there, our listeners. You're going, oh, oh butterfly, what the hell is You're wrong? right, the listeners are just judging you. And you, you too, you Sasquatch. But don't judge. It's a weird thing. Sometimes I'm just driving down the road. I see a butterfly going, oh, man, I got to pull one off. I have nothing to say to that. <laughs> so, according to the the well, final autopsy report of Jennifer Smith, Dr. Karen Gunson, the, the state medical examiner, determined that there were at least a minimum of 11 knife wounds in her body. Ten of them were deep. And the medical examiner said that there were eight stab wounds to the front of Jennifer's body, one of which severed a major artery on the left side of her chest and was probably the cause of death. She also sustained slashing wounds to both of her breasts, two very deep stab wounds to her abdomen that pierced her through her stomach, and a V-shaped shab, shab wound, stab wound in her back that pierced her liver. And the doctor explained, the uh, medical examiner explained that that V-shaped wound might have been caused by two stab wounds that had overlapped with each other, right? And so the victim also had slash wounds to both of her hands that cut all the way to the bone, which were defensive injuries, according to the, uh, the medical examiner. Um, when, she, when the victim tried to grab the knife from her, attacked her, or otherwise tried to prevent him from stabbing her. And her throat had been cut. There were other wounds, the doctor said, including a two-quarter inch, two-quarter inch wide bruises, around both of her wrists, which indicated she had been tied up at some point, perhaps with shoe, perhaps with the shoelaces that they found at the crime scene. And a significant amount of pressure had been applied to her wrist for such a bruising to occur. So after the investigators presented their case to the grand jury, he was in, Dane Leroy Rogers was indicted on a charge of aggravated murder in the death of Jennifer Smith. And the indictment alleged that Rogers murdered Smith during the course of rape, kidnap, sexual abuse, and or torture. It also alleged that Rogers killed Smith to cover up other crimes, which made it a true aggravated murder case. Rogers attained attorney Arthur B. Noss of Oregon City to rep- really to represent him, and he pled innocent to the charges. He was held without bail. I didn't know Noss was around back then. Sorry. That was just a little blast from the past. <laughs> in the meantime, I, I mean, I literally did not know he's part of this case. So in the meantime, on August 31st, Everett Banyard, a, 30, a 46-year-old crossbow hunter, was hunting in the Malala Forest of Malala, Oregon, when he stumbled over a nude, partially buried body of a young woman. The body was in an advanced state of decomposition, and covered by brush and he was so unnerved by his gruesome discovery that he left the forest as quick as he could to go hunt down the Clackamas County authorities right so when the investigators arrived at the remote site a recreation area near the Malala River which was popular with fishermen swimmers hunters hikers and other outdoorsmen he led them up an old dirt logging road through the rugged mountain which had I mean, it was like overgrown with trees and everything. I mean, you know how our logging roads are. 
It's hard oh, to explain yes. to people who don't know. But, you know, it's like literally, I mean, Scott and I tried to explain it, but it's literally like a vertical slope of like dirt road that's overgrown by trees and stuff that a semi, a logging truck can barely get through. And ferns. We have a ton of oh, ferns here. You the, know, don't get me started on the ferns. But yeah, that's how my grandpa went missing. He was he was picking ferns. Yeah, I mean, but fern, yeah. ferns are just, I mean, and this is what gets me. Like I, when I was living in uh, California, like people bought fern plants and they were expensive even in time. They were talking like the 80s, right? The 80s mm-hmm. and the 90s. And they, they paid 20, 30, 40, 50 bucks for a fern. Oh, yeah. And here, if you want a fern, literally get in your car and drive 30 minutes, you'll find one. Well, and um, people, some people don't understand that uh, fiddlehead fern is a delicacy in Korean uh, cuisine. Really? Yeah. So they'll go and they'll pick the fiddlehead ferns and they'll dry them out. Is that the regular fern? Yeah. Well, yeah, but it's like the frond. Oh, oh, It's not the leaves, but the frond. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. And so they'll go and pick that and they'll go up in the forest and they'll, we, I mean, we picked it for days on end when I was a kid and then they'll dry it out and sell it to the stores and everything. And that, my grandpa was actually, my Korean grandpa was actually picking fiddlehead ferns when he went missing. So yeah, in one of the forests here. But anyways, even though that it was a difficult area to get to, there was no trouble locating the body once they got there. They couldn't tell, though, if she had been buried by the forces of nature, because you know how our nature is out here, or if somebody had actually purposely tried to conceal it. But one thing they did know for certain once they uncovered her is that she was murdered. There was foul play involved. Well, and the thing is, like, seriously, you can hide a body here and it will never freaking be found. Oh, no. Yeah, totally. I mean, even without nature doing its course. Right. No, totally. Because we have a ton of thick, dense, dense, dense forests. Mm -hmm. And, you know, seriously, if you throw, if you put a body out there and, and did a decent job of covering it up, nature will break it down and cover it up within a week. Well, and what people don't understand is it does, it could be one of those little dense copulated areas right off the highway. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. That it doesn't matter. That's how dense our forests are here. So due to the, due to how late it was at the time when they got there, they didn't even try to ch- attempt to search the area and tell the morning right then shortly after dawn uh the search for evidence began they found two more corpses within 50 feet of each other in the same area as that first one so now they have three and the scene appeared to be what they called a cluster dump or um i guess in the terms of serial color they called it a dumping grounds Um, you know the green river killer had them in washington state um Let's see here. Who well, else had it? I have somebody who needs to make a comment. One, one corpse. Two, two corpses. Three, <laughs> three corpses. Ah, 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 ah. Thank you, Count. Bed. It's no problem. I love to count. You're so stupid. It's not me, man. It's the Count. He just had to count the corpses. Yeah, well, I'm sure there's going to be more. More corpses to count? Excellent. <laughs> ah, 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 ah. So, unsure what they were dealing with, though, the investigators temporarily stopped while the Clackamas County Sheriff's Department's tracking dog, Colt, was brought in to see if there were any more bodies. I'm Colt 45, and I'm here to track some bodies. <laughs> sniff, sniff. So, over I the next em. five days, 
A total of seven corpses were brought down from the mountains. That's seven, seven corpses. Yeah. Ah, ah, All of ah, them ah. were naked. All were stabbed, tortured, and or mutilated. And some had their feet removed at the ankle with a serrated edge of a hacksaw. One victim's foot had been a co- a cut approximately two-thirds of the way through the bone with the remainder just snapped off. This prompted the detectives to consider that the perpetrator had sawed these women's feet off while they were still alive and conscious in an attempt to get as much pain and suffering from them as possible. Miss Tammy, Miss Tammy, hold on one second. Uh Uh-oh. Dieter? Yes, what is wrong with that? Sometimes you have to experiment to, uh, to see the pain threshold of your patient. Maybe he wanted to be a doctor. Do you ever think of that? No, um, I'm don't. creeped out right now, but no. Oh, Miss Tommy. Obviously, they did not have the big pain threshold. It's disappointing. It's disappointing. Carry is on. it? Is it? Anyways, however, the one victim whose bone had only been partially sawed through and then broken had likely gone into shock. And then the breaking of the bone had likely been what they called that last-ditch attempt at breaking through that shock barrier, uh-huh, to elicit one final response from her before she died. Each of the victims were in various degrees of decomp, and two were markedly more advanced, having been there a considerably longer amount of time than the others. The thing is, is it's called exquisite pain. Yeah. And he found a way to kind of exceed exquisite pain, which is that's actually kind of amazing. Yeah, if you think about it that way, yeah. yeah I'm thinking from a, uh, about it from a scientific point of view. Yeah. Not from a, a morality point of view or anything like that. No. Literally, I have been in exquisite yeah, pain. Yeah, so we, have I. We talked about that when they when they ran the uh, the big giant needle up my spine. Yeah. And my girlfriend at the time was looking at me going, oh my God. Because like, her and I were cat- cattle together. And uh, so, you know, we used big needles at times to give right. them shots and shit like that. You did what together? Ran cattle. Oh, okay. Never mind what I thought you said. And uh, so, you know, when if 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 she was turning away, that's a big thing. So, how can you even handle things big as a pencil and it's going up your spine? I said, "Honey, I can't even feel it." Yeah. Because I felt pressure, and that was it. It was so I was in so much pain. Yeah. Because my back injury. So to be able to exceed that from a scientific point of view. Yeah. Is. Fucking impressive as fuck. It's fucked yeah. up. Don't get me wrong. No, it is very it's, fucked up. It's very messed up, yeah. and, and I and and I I don't condone what he did in the least bit. But yeah, he managed to kind of jump over that wall of yeah. exquisite pain. That's wow. But, well, and this is what I find kind of shocking because I mean, you and I have both talked about how police officers jump to wild conclusions, right? Well, even though there were very, like, striking similarities, like, almost unmistaking similarities between Jennifer Smith and these other women that they found, as far as their nudity, the exact stab wounds, the torture, the mutilation, all of that, they didn't even focus on Dayton Leroy Rogers as their suspect at first. He was just in jail, charged with a different murder. However, the Detective Turner that we talked about at the beginning walked around the forest site. He had... And he soon spotted the the telltale sign that it was Dayton Leroy Rogers. 
You want to know what it was? Gotta be his orange juice container. His vodka bottle. Or vodka, yeah. <laughs> no, that's... But you know what? A lot of people, like, we're not the only one who wants you to drink Vail Vodka. And no, we, we're not... We're not sponsored by Vail Vodka. No, Although we're not. I would love it if we were. Yeah, because they, they also even found his orange juice bottles, but it was mainly the miniature vodka bottles that they found. You know found. what makes me sad about Vail? Is they won't get back to us? No. Is that it, it's the house brand of Total Wine and Spirits. It is. So it I is. Can't, so we can't get it anywhere else. Yeah, I can't go over to like Oregon Yeah. and buy it. It's got to be at a Total Wine and Spirits. Yeah, which we don't have in Oregon. Which makes me sad, man. I know. What huh? if I'm out of town and I run out of ale? Well, like, seriously. It's not just that. It, what's really sad is because they charge almost a 50% liquor tax up here. Yeah. <laughs> Sales and liquor tax combined. So, yeah, it's like you pay 20 bottles for, I mean, 20 bottles, $20 for a half gallon of liquor down in Oregon costs you almost 60 bucks up here. <laughs> yeah. It makes me, it's just, it's, yeah. this is a national emergency. You know what? Fuck this about Dayton Leroy Rogers. We need to talk about a serious subject here because we need to have the vodka available other places. That's way more All important. All across the nation. What if I run out? What if I'm doing a show in, let's say, Texas, and there's not a, a, a freaking total wine and spirit? Yeah, because you can't be fly with it. Yeah. Yeah. Then that, that's an emergency. That's what that is. I know it is. It's called. Yeah, it's called a vodka emergency. <laughs> Just, it, I'm saddened. Boys and girls out there, yeah. please, for the love of God, write your congressman. <laughs> That's what we're going to talk about today. God dang it. Now, now I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared of doing shows it's out of an town injustice, anymore. I tell you. An injustice. Yeah. Like, what if we're playing another show towards Salem? Or even further south, let's say California. Well, you know... I'm screwed if I run out. I got to yeah. ration. That's what I got to do. I'm going to have to, like, get a bullwhip and get the guys away from my vodka stash. They'll be like, he's not looking. We'll go get it off the bus. No, you won't. I'll bite you. I'll bite, like a bulldog. Oh, my God. Thinking You're so it's, dumb. Sorry, just, it just hit me that I could have a vodka emergency when I'm out of town. I don't like that. <laughs> it just hit you that you could have a vodka uh, okay, this is what this is what life is boiled down to, people. Vodka emergency. We need to write the president. That's what we need to do. <laughs> Biden ain't gonna give us crap for that. Well, I, I'm hoping that while he, you know, maybe he'll send us back a letter that you know it says like dog wash barn vodka hippie string <laughs> marijuana, and I'll be like, that means he's gonna make sure that I have Bell vodka. That's what that means. Is that what that means? <laughs> <laughs> That's messed up. Goddamn. That was messed that up. was wrong with me. You know what? That was so unpolitical. <laughs> oh, my God. What an asshole. Yeah, I am an asshole. Anyway, continue. So, anyways, so as soon as he located the, that vodka and orange juice remnants, he knew exactly who his killer probably was. And he focused in on Dayton Leroy Rogers as the prime suspect. He also reasoned that when all was said and done, many, if not most of those victims, turned out to have a, pros- a history of prostitution arrest. So, you know, it was his victim pool. As it turned out, the following vict- the following women were identified as those victims over the past se- over the next several months. There was Lisa Marie Mock, age twenty three; Marine Ann Hodges, twenty six; Christine Lotus Adams, thirty five; Nondas K Cervantes, otherwise known as Noni K, age twenty six; Ratha or 
I, I think it's Retha Giles, R-E-A-T-H-A Giles, age 16, Cynthia Diane DeVoe, age 21. One of the victims is still unidentified to this day. And as Detective Turner figured out, most of them had either worked as prostitutes at some time prior to their death, and they almost all of them had a record of prior prostitution offenses. Some were even heroin addicts, and only one, only one, had no links to either. At the time of the discovery the invest- in the Malala Forest, the investigators would not say what they had for evidence against Dayton Leroy Rogers. However, one source close to the investigation, which I'm pretty sure is that guy from the Oregonian that nobody likes to talk about. <laughs> he who shall not be named. Right? Um, um, maintained that Rogers was the prime suspect in the forest murders and that they had enough evidence to bring him to trial in those killings, but they wanted to wait to see how his trial for Jennifer Smith turned out before they charged him with those other murders. Now, at his first trial, which began in February of 1988 in a Clackamas County courtroom, Judge Patrick D. Gilroy and Deputy DA Andres Iglitas... Okay, that is a I Iglesias. Okay, that's his name. Are you sure it's not Iglesias? Yeah, it's E G L I T I S. Okay, Iglesias. I thought he was gonna start singing, but okay. No, it's not Andre Iglesias. I know how to spell. <laughs> Shut up. He told the jury that Rogers murdered Jennifer because he wanted to, because he was following a pattern that he'd established with the other prostitutes, and he was a vicious predator who killed for quote a sexual thrill. And that, that, that's probably dead on accurate. Oh, yeah, probably dead on. That's that's very... With the killers that we do... Once yeah, especially they our fetish a, killers. Yes. Oh, yeah, especially our fetish killers. They stick to a specific pattern. Mm-hmm. All, and, and it might vary a little bit. Like, he may have gone from chopping off the feet to, I don't know, chopping off the leg. Yep. Or, you know, or other types of mutilation. But it doesn't... That, that's saying the apple don't fall far from the tree... In that in, in in fetish patterns is accurate, yeah. yeah. Because the the knife doesn't fall far from the killer's hand. That's that's, that, that's you know what that's very accurate right there. Now, according to Iglitas, he said, "quote You'll find that the reason he went to downtown Portland was to satisfy what you will find to be his bizarre sexual appetite, and you'll also find that his sexual appetite included bondage, masturbation, and an intent to inflict intense physical pain. Okay, once again, though, they're presenting that as a bad thing. And for for him, it is. For for Dayton Leroy Rogers, it is. But if you're into BDSM, a little bit of bondage. That's a Friday night. That could be your normal dealio. Yeah. And that's not bad. It's a, your, a fetish is just a fetish. Do your thing. Just don't kill anybody. Yeah. And that's my whole thing. You know, and, and, and don't don't bone kids because then you're big. But, um, and should die. But, yeah. Uh, Never mind. Well, my thing is, like, whenever the cops talk about these fetishes. Oh, yeah. They present it like if you, I don't know. I, I always get the feeling like if, and if you're involved in anything well, and like this. Well, I think this, we have to look at the time, too. Because this was back in the late 80s when fetishes and bondage were very taboo still. We had Boy George in the 80s, for God's sake. Okay, Come but on. Boy George, even though everybody knew, nobody knew. Everybody knew. Okay, and everybody they knew. knew, but nobody knew. Everybody Get my did. point? 
Yeah, I do, but I mean, the second that he came out with his first video, we we're looking at it, I'm going, dude. With the comma, 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 chameleon. I come dude. mango. Yeah, I bet you he does. <laughs> or vice versa. Maybe maybe he's the pillow biter. I don't know. But we all knew. We all knew. We did. Just like with Elton John. I mean, oh, Elton yeah. John didn't come out until the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, and I and I love Elton John, man. Yeah, because he made jokes about being bi-coastal. <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest. Pillow biter. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, but yeah, so, I mean, you kind of also got to take in the time frame when he, he was saying this, too. No, okay. I, I, I dig. I dig. It's just that I get tired of, the, you know, hearing stories about how cops are kind of, yeah. like, if you're into this kind of an activity, then you're a piece of shit. Oh, yeah. Well, because remember how um, they made it illegal to practice any sort of BDSM back when um, Colin, was it Colin Norris? No, that's a doctor. No. Oh, yeah. I was Colin Ireland. Colin, I, yeah, Colin Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. When he was doing his thing, and you know what I mean. So, it's like there have been several instances where. Hang on, I need to grab something here real quick. Whoa! No, hey, it's a Q-tip. Don't be, yeah, yeah, whatever. But uh, hey, Tammy, put your damn clothes back on. I said I had to grab oh, something from God behind. Dang. Shut ah. up, sick fucker! You scared the crap. You know I'm standing here behind my shield. That's scary. Shut God, up. And I'm terrified. No, I needed a Q-tip. Leave me alone. Uh-huh. That's what, uh, Stop putting it there. Don't. Do, oh, God. What is wrong with you? Why are you, you? being so vulgar God, right now? Dang, you need Jesus or something. Anyways. Yeah, don't get so, Buddha or Jesus or Ollie. You pick one, but damn, get some, get some religion. Anyways, so Arthur Noss actually even said to the jury, he says, you're not going to like my client. However, you're here to decide whether or not he was... That what he did is tantamount to a cri- criminal act and not judge him by his sexual desires. Oh, see, I like him. I like him. Yeah. He had, Noss even admitted that Roger killed Jennifer Smith, but said that he did so in self-defense. Well, right? I, I, I'm just happy that he said, hey, man, yeah, he, he committed a crime. Yeah. But judge him on the crime, not... Not, yeah. not as fetish. Exactly. And I, I and I agree with that 100%. Like, if I get busted for something, let's say that I, I don't know, it's an assault charge, because I've been in jail, been arrested for assault before, <clears throat> you know, um, I would like them to judge me on what I did and not go, plus, he's into BDSM, and he's got a, he's got a drawer full of floggers and ball gags. You do? Yeah, I do. I got a little case in my closet. Um Along with other I interesting found things. This yet. No, it's hidden. That's mine. Um, you know, but I want him to judge me on the crime, not my weird sexual shit I got going on. True. I'll give you that. He likes to be pegged. No, I don't. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. And little, so little can of light and wine. Yeah. Things could happen. So, anyways, there it was. All out in the open now. Rogers was claiming self defense for his attack on Smith. Now, apparently, Iglitas had known that it was coming, and he was prepared for it, and he, w- he was prepared for that defense, which would be presented. He couldn't believe it, but he accepted it. He knew he could convince the jury otherwise, and the evidence would show them what was true and what wasn't. Because he's unbelievable. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, sorry. Yeah, so anyways, Noss... Rogers' attorney maintained that Smith saw that Rogers had more than $200 in a wallet when they stopped at a convenience store to buy the orange juice. And she decided to pull a knife on him and rob him herself. 
Then, as he got out of the truck to urinate, she pulled a knife from the glove compartment and brought it close to his throat and demanded his wallet. That's when a struggle ensued and turned into a wrestling match for the knife. And Jennifer Smith was stabbed several times in the process of getting that knife away from her. But it was purely by accident. You know, all those times, purely accident. Yeah, no, I I can buy that. That tracks. Does it? Does it really? So early on in the trial, they heard the jury heard testimony from several people who said they had heard the victim scream in intense pain for at least two minutes before she was discovered. Iglitas also said that there were deep cuts to her breast, which indicated she had been tortured. And he presented testimony from the medical examiner who displayed graphic photos of her wounds. At one point during the trial, jurors heard from somebody from a woman Rogers had stabbed back in 1972 when he was only 18 years old and she was 15. And she explained how she had met Rogers when he picked her up while she was hitchhiking in Eugene and how he took her into a remote area to have sex on that day and on a subsequent date. You know, that minor that he was charged with. Uh huh. Remember that? Yeah. Okay. Where she says we'd hold hands and swing around and talk and smile. And then she came close to tears at several points when she said, then we sat down and we were talking and he tickled my legs and told me to close my eyes. Then I felt the plunge of the knife. She explained that Rogers had stabbed her in the belly just left of her navel and she stopped momentarily to show the jurors her scar. She said, quote, I thought a rattlesnake had bit me. If it wasn't that, I thought a horse had kicked me. I looked down and saw the knife in my abdomen and the blood coming out. Um, she said that Rogers told her he just couldn't trust her anymore and was afraid that she might turn him in for having sex with her because she was underage. And fearing that he was going to kill her, she lied to him and told him that she loved him. She said, Dayton, I love you. He began to tell me he would marry me and do anything. She said if she promised to tell the police, she stabbed herself. On, in, on accident, and she agreed, right? But the doctors at the hospital in Eugene, the Sacred Heart Hospital, told her they didn't believe that the wound was self-inflicted, and she said, I was afraid he would come there and kill me. Then she said she changed her mind and told the police the truth, right? I mean, I just feel for her in a way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Dayton felt her, too. You're so bad. So... Another witness told the jury that an incident had occurred between her and Rogers on February 20th of 1976. According to the witness, who was 19 at the time of the incident, Rogers picked her up as she walked towards Salem to visit her boyfriend, who was stationed at OSCI, which is in Salem, on your way to Mill City. You know that one we passed on the right-hand side? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. That's a prison. That That was a prison. You're right. So the women was in the backseat of Roger's car when he suddenly pulled over and took a knife from the glove compartment. She said he hogtied her and cut off her clothing. Then she said, quote, I was scared he was, you know, he was going to kill me. He said he had to kill me because he was afraid I'd go to the police. She testified that Rogers eventually let her out of the car near her grandmother's house in Oregon City. Then... Janet K. Anderson, a Clackamas County Corrections Officer who supervised Rogers while he was on parole for a 1976 offense, um, testified that she interviewed the defendant in September of 1982. 
she said, I asked him if he were to do this all over again, if he would do anything different. And according to him, he indicated there would not be a witness next time. So when, uh, sorry, when cross-examined by Noss, Anderson told the jurors that she took Roger's statements seriously, but hadn't included them in her report for some reason. Mr. Rogers' intentions appear sincere to maintain counsel and to remain crime-free. Anderson wrote in a letter to the State Board of Parole, part of which was read to the jury. According to this letter, quote, Mr. Rogers does not appear to be a threat to the community. The parole officer added that the language used in the letter and her report was typical of language used when terminating parole supervision. She said her personal notes on Rogers, however, quote, indicated that the suspect appeared well-adjusted, but because of the crime and the surrounding circumstances, one never knows, which I think is true no matter what. Um, So at another point in the trial, Rogers testified in his own defense before a seven-man, five-woman jury. He told them he paid Jennifer Smith $40 for a sexual encounter that did involve bondage. It was consensual. He explained that when when he got out of the truck to urinate, after having tied her hands and feet with shoelaces, she slipped out of her bindings and took a knife from the glove box. When he got back inside the truck, that's when she attacked him. He said that she that while she was still nude, she held the knife to his throat and ordered him not to move and to give her his wallet. Do it or die, she said. He refused and fought back. Fearing for his life, he said he knocked her arm away and wrestled her from the knife, which he eventually obtained and killed her. He said, I got a hold of it and used the knife on her. I was just going back and forth in virtually any direction I could. Um... And he chased her, and then it's like she eventually jumped out of the truck while he was stabbing her, and he chased her across the parking lot, and he grabbed her, and she fell to the pavement. Both of our feet entangled, he said, and she went down backward, and I fell down on top of her. On the way down, that's when I stabbed her in the upper area here. He indicated the right side of his chest near the shoulder. It's kind of how I got Jake's mom pregnant. If you fell? I fell. Your feet entangled with her? She fell backwards, (laughs) you fell forward? Yeah. I'm scared. Yeah, so was I. Yeah. So no one wants Dayton Leroy Rogers released, Noss said, only minutes before the jury left to deliberate, right? He said, I don't want him released. You don't want him released. I question whether Mr. Rogers even wants him to be released himself. What is needed is permanent isolation of this man. In his fantasy land, he's become the sexual monster you've heard about from these girls. He's developed and nurtured these feelings into a ritual. It's a pattern you can't ignore. He's a sick man. But do we kill him? Do we have a death sentence for people who are as sick and deprived as this? Look at the evidence. After the killing of Miss Smith, he goes back to work and thinks about going out to a coffee shop. The state has proven beyond a reasonable doubt that he is a sick man. Or that he likes coffee. But does he deserve the death penalty? You know what? What? He likes coffee. True. I know after sometimes after a hard day's work, I'm playing guitar. Yeah. I want to sit back with a... Nice coffee and a hooker? Yeah, why not? That you've tied up and stabbed? Because you fell on her? Oh, my God. I don't stab my hookers while I'm drinking coffee. That could ruin my coffee. Um, do that way after. Way later. So, anyways, it only took the jurors four hours to come back and announce that they believed without a shadow of a doubt that he murdered her deliberately. 
They also voted that her murder was an unreasonable response to any provocation from her. And however, after one juror adamantly opposed the death penalty, all 12 agreed that Rogers would not pose a continuing threat to society because he would be imprisoned for life. He, and then the judge, Gilroy, immediately sentenced him to life in prison. Detective John Turner and his colleagues were so devastated by the sentence that jurors apparently thought that a life sentence meant that he would never be released, but they would be wrong. Under a life sentence back in that time, he would be eligible for parole at one point or another. Even if it was 20 or 30 years down the road, he would be eligible for parole. And that would give him yet another chance to slip through the cracks of the system, right? Mm, she so, said crack. do you want to continue, or do you want to stop here and Keep continue? Keep going. Okay. How much more do you got? Um, I just want to make sure, because I have like maybe five pages. Go for it. Okay. So, now we have a second trial, right? The Malala Forest case. Um... This is an, the prosecution had yet one more chance to get the death penalty for Dayton Leroy Rogers. It was the good guys ace in the hole, and they would play it for everything it was worth. So for two months after the Smith trial, Turner and his fellow detectives were close, worked closely with the DA's office and presented the worst serial murder case in Oregon's history to the, up to that point to a grand jury. And on, on May 4th, 1988, Dayton Leroy Rogers was indicted on several charges of aggravated murder under various theories of law for the deaths of those women that we talked about. He was not charged in the death of the unidentified victim, although they were certain that he had murdered her as well. However, as before, he pled innocent, and this time Christopher Burris, not Arthur Noss, was hired to represent him. Now, I've heard of Christopher Burris through the grapevine. I just don't know of him like I do Noss. Now, Turner and his fellow detectives spent the night, the next eight months rounding up more witnesses to interview as well as re-interviewing many of the original ones. They carefully combed through the evidence and they put their case books in order. So by the time the trial began, they knew what case they were presenting frontwards and backwards. It didn't matter, Right. They were very well prepared. Jury selection began on February 6, 1989, and it took two months to pick a jury. Two months. I mean, and you and I, I mean, because you know me, I was only at jury duty for one day before they had a jury selected for the Gypsy Joker case. So could you imagine going through that for two months? Negative, female inmate. Yeah, I'd have gone insane. Although, you know, whatever. They'd had to pay me $50 a day, but still, I'd have gone insane. <laughs> um, let's see here. Ironically, considering the types of crimes that he was being charged with, all of the women, an all-women panel of 12 jurors was seated with one additional female as an alternate. Uh, see, now that's not fair, man. You're talking about <laughs> him killing women and then you get all uh, all women. No, that's bullshit. Okay, but his attorney had something to do with that, too. Because he could have vetoed those as well. I'm just, I'm, I'm against the jury. Are you against the jury from the bat? And my, my question is, why aren't they in the kitchen taking care of men and making them sandwiches? Excuse me, folks. I got to commit a murder. <laughs> I love doing that to you. <laughs> I, I, I have to kill somebody today on the air. Don't scream, Scott. It's for your own good. <laughs> Anyways, 
So when the trial finally began on March 30th, 1989, this time in the courtroom of Clackamas County Circuit Court Judge Raymond Begley Jr., not to be confused with Ed Begley Jr., damn it, but Raymond Begley Jr., Eglitas outlined his case for the jurors, contending that a knife identical to the one that was used to kill Smith was found near the Malala Forest victims' bodies. Oh, sorry. Ow. Um, he described the torture and the grisly details of these women having their feet sawed or cut from their bodies and how one had been eviscerated from a machete having been inserted right around the area of her vagina and then sliced up the middle to her stir- to the sternum. So technically he spatchcocked her like a chicken. He did spatchcock her. That's kind of gross, but yeah. He, he like, um, he did what fuck, uh, uh, what's his name? Hannibal Lecter did in uh, Red Drake. No, not Red Dragon. Hannibal. Yep. The second movie. The second, subsequently the fourth, but yeah. <laughs> Let's see here. By the time Iglesias was finished with his presentation of what the jury was considering the most, he left little to the imagination of what he had done to these people. Right? For the next five weeks, the jury heard horrific testimony from many of the women he had violated and tortured at one time or another, but had survived. Each of them told graphic details, even crying at the atrocities that he committed against them. And One he drank all my vodka and orange juice. What a bastard. Yeah. One former prostitute testified that her fifth and final day, so she had five encounters with him, had lasted in excess of six hours after he picked her up on Southeast 82nd and drove her to the Malala Forest. Hmm. Southeast 82nd. Oh, your stomping ground. That's where you used to work, wasn't it? No. Uh-huh, sure. I used to date. Never mind. <laughs> that even sounds Oh, that's worse. right. Yeah, exactly. No, I have a boyfriend who lives in a condo up on in Happy Valley. Okay, yeah. An ex-boyfriend. If, that, if that's your story, that's cool. That's cool. Working, the, working Sandy and 82nd. I, I dig, yeah. Sandy and 82nd don't even intersect, do they? Yes, they do. Where? Down by the east side. Almost where we were playing. No, because that's Powell. Sandy intersects with Powell, but it doesn't intersect with 82nd it anymore. It does, too. Oh, okay. I'll I thought Sandy and 82nd didn't intersect anymore. I'm pretty damn sure, but uh, but you would know better than me working that area. I'm going to hit you. Yeah, we'll you know show what, more bitches, than I have never, ever sold my body. No, ever. She gave it away. <laughs> Not on 82nd. All right, continue. I didn't get married on 82nd. I got married on Cedar Hill, on Canyon Road. <laughs> At a Shiloh Inn. <laughs> Sorry. And then she charged everybody 20 bucks. Shut up, I did not. <laughs> and we saw that on Pornhub. It was actually Shut scary. up! It was an Animal Planet. I can't I remember. It was one of the two. So anyways, according to this prostitute, he got out of the truck, went over to the side where you could see over the forest, and he said how beautiful it was. He went, then she went back to the truck and started to get undressed. He came up behind her and started to put the bondage devices on. When she told him they were too tight, that they were cutting into her wrist, he says that's what he wanted. He started, and then she goes on to say, he started biting my breasts. He was biting and tearing. I told him to please stop. And he said, that's too rough. Oh, she said, that's too rough. This isn't right. 
and she begged him to stop. And the more she pled with him and begged, the worse the abuse got. When Then she goes, when I screamed too loudly, he became concerned and put something up against my neck, which I assumed was a knife. He told me to be quiet or else I'd really have something to cry about. I didn't say anything, and I tried to stifle the sobs as much as I could. Then Iglata says, did you say anything to the defendant? She said, no. He goes, what were you doing then? She said, just existing. So one of his relatives, Dayton's relatives, also testified, telling the jury how he helped Dayton establish his business and then close it down after Dayton's arrest. He told of how he had found out all of the suspicious items in the wood stove inside Dayton's shop, including items that appeared to be the metal inner portions of shoes. He burst into tears twice during his testimony and diverted his eyes away from Dayton most of the time. In tears and in tones that were barely audible, Floria Adams, the 15-year-old daughter of victim Christine Adams, testified that decorative studs, star-shaped grommets that were found in Dayton's wood stove came from her mother's pants. Sobbing, she told the jury the jury how she recognized those studs from the clothes her mother wore now bob thompson from the os oregon state police criminology department worked closely on this case as well he explained how he had found pieces of colored glass in lisa mock's hair although he hadn't been able to determine what they were they were similar to glass glass parts found inside the wood stove he also testified that hairs found inside dayton's pickup were macroscopically and microscopically similar to head hairs he compared from the remains of Lisa, Noni, and Cynthia. This man, Iglesias said in his closing argument, is obsessed, totally consumed in a sexual way with a woman's feet and dominance. And what is the ultimate act of dominance? It is to remove that foot. We submit that it is what happened in the Malala forest. He reminded the jurors, the jurors about all the orange juice containers and the many liquor bottles found at the scene and insisting they made up of his of Roger's signature. You know what I say? That they were all jealous that they weren't invited to the party. There's vodka. There's orange juice. They're partying like it's, I don't know, 1999, 1999. but, you know, in the 80s. And, uh, and, and then Dayton's like, no, you can't come. And they're like, no, we, we want to come. Said, no, you guys are losers. Go away. So that's. He's, he's being framed. Yeah. So according to another um, a vocational instructor from OSCI, a guy by the name of James Huppy. Yeah, I said that. Um, he actually taught Dayton the skills he needed to become a mechanic when Dayton was in prison in 1976 for the attack on the two Kaiser Oregon high school girls. Now, Dayton learned fast, and said Huppy, in barely two years, he went from being a person with little or no skills to someone with high skills in the mechanical world. Huppy also said that he selected Dayton to be his apprentice a few months before he was released from prison. James Miller, another vocational instructor at that same prison, testified that he knew Dayton before he was arrested for the 1976 offenses. The two of them played table tennis together at a Seventh-day Adventist social gathering. Miller explained that he was surprised when he ran into Dayton in prison, but despite his offenses, he was determined to help him. In fact, Dayton helped organize Adventist church services at the prison, which attracted about a dozen inmates to attend. Dayton always played guitar at the services and seemed sincere in his religious convictions. Okay. Everybody knows you find God for the state, right? Okay, that's all I'm saying. 
I play guitar for the Lord, too. Only when you're on the inside. Let's all sing to Jesus, shall we? Please release me. Let me go. <laughs> yeah. Now, when the psychological testimony was presented, psychologist James Adams, what are you doing? Checking my nose. Oh, right. Don't judge was, me. No, I was like, what the heck is he doing that for? Explained that Dayton committed violent acts only under particular circumstances, such as when he was intoxicated and or sexually aroused in a scenario that included bondage and foot fetishism. So pretty much any time, right? That's me all the time. I'm always aroused. Yeah. For him to become violent, he also must possess a feeling that he had been cheated either emotionally or sexually, and he must always have a helpless woman as his victim. See, I don't believe that the, the, he has to feel like he's been cheated, like, to be, just being honest, or, or, or slighted in any way. I think that that isn't a factor in, in him attacking anybody. Yeah, I don't think so either. He likes dominance, dominance and to torture women, and he has a foot fetish. Those are facts. Yeah. He enjoys killing women and he said it in his out interview when he got out of prison there, there, there won't be a witness next time exactly so he's covering his ass that's why he's doing it yeah fucking feeling you know, like he's been slighted yeah. that has nothing to do with this shit no because yeah he did make a point to say that he would not be co- you know he wouldn't leave a victim next time you know a witness yeah that's it a witness that's what i meant to say he's got plenty of victims yeah but there would not be a witness next time. So, yeah, it's like in all of these women, I'm sorry, prostitutes are helpless by nature, you know, because they're in a vulnerable position anyways. Does, you know what I mean? Right. No, I, I agree. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, I, yeah. I'm all for protecting the hookers, not because I seriously want to get one or have anything to do with them, but because they're no, yeah, they're they, the most victimized people. Yeah, and they are vulnerable by nature because of the position they are in when they are approached. Yeah, you know, it's like it, it, it's it's children, old people, and hookers. Yeah, that's that's the that's three major freaking uh, types of people that get victimized. Yeah, and it also, the, I mean, they also the psychologist also made a point to say that um, he also needed to maintain a reasonable certainty that he wouldn't be caught for his crimes, and his victims had to be somebody he could dehuman, dehumanize, such as a prostitute who already felt some sort of that, right? So Adam's contention was that Dayton needed all of these factors present for him to become violent. In prison, said Adams, those factors would not be available to him and he'd be and he wouldn't be a threat to men. You know, so of course they're not gonna present himself while he's in these religious meetings and everything. Well, yeah, I saw pictures of him. What does he weigh? Like a buck and a half, buck twenty, yeah, something like that? Maybe that. He's he's a really small, very slight very dude. Very small, slight dude. Fairly sure that he's not victimizing anybody in prison. Yeah. Fairly no. unless he's got he, some weird ninja skills or something. Yeah, no. No. No, and he doesn't have that harsh demeanor. Like I mean, and I always hate bringing it back to this, but even before we knew what Carl Panzerum did, when you saw pictures of Panzerum, it's like, ooh, he looks fierce. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but with Dayton, it's like, oh, he looks like a wuss. Dayton, I mean, Dayton looks like he would cry if his potatoes were touching his eggs. <laughs> his Cheetos were soggy and his cookie was smashed. Oh, my God. If that happened to him, he wouldn't just be trying to... He would have a mental breakdown. He wouldn't be trying to sue him like Cheetah Ing did. He'd be sitting there crying. Unless you know what that reference is. It's because Charles Cheetah Ing and... Um, was it um, Shermantine? No, it was... Uh, uh, Lake. 
No, it was uh, B. Starts with a B. Um, Bitteker. Bitteker, yeah. Yeah. Freaking sued California state prisons because their food was inhumane. Yeah. It's an ongoing joke with us, though. Um, sorry, I had to try to drink my Gatorade. I'm still feeling nauseous. So, anyways, um, let's see. On the other hand, John Cochran, the senior forensic psychologist at the Oregon State Hospital, he he said that Dayton did pose a containing threat, even though even if he were in prison. He detailed a homosexual relationship that Dayton had been engaged in and contended that without availability of women as victims, it would only be a matter of time before he started victimizing males. Okay, no, all right, all right, all right, all right. I'm going to give my two cents on this one there. I think that in the broader perspective, that could be possible. Because anything's possible, I don't think it's probable. No, I don't think so either. Because I look at him more as the taker, not the giver. Oh, I, I can see him as the giver, but here's how this would go down in, in my mind. You have a whole culture in prison. That's true. And so if you're sitting there and you're really beating the shit out of your gay partner. Yes. It's not just the guards that are going to get involved because you're causing a ruckus on the block. Yes. The other inmates are going to get involved. Why? Because most of them don't want to put up with your crap. Yes. They don't want that drama. They don't want everybody getting locked down because your actions, from what I understand, are going to affect everybody else. That's true. So it's, it's kind of self-policing. So if Dayton is in there and he's beating up on his, on his gay lover, yeah, somebody's going to take care of that shit. Like, they're going to give him what, what I've heard of called a pillow party where they put soap into a goddamn pillowcase and beat the crap out of people. It's a lock, a combination lock. But what do I know? Oh, okay, yeah, something like that. But uh, you know, they're 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 gonna take care of that. So, I, he knows that though. That's the thing. He he knows the prison life, so he knows True. that he can't do that. So, and the only way he know. would get away with that is if he held some sort of clout on the block. Which he's not. Which looking at him, I don't see it. Yeah, I highly doubt that. Yeah, I mean, and I know Oregon. The, okay, I'm going to say this word, even though I'm going to regret it here about two seconds. The Oregon penal system. <laughs> she said penal. I know. It's less it's an implant. severe as other states' penal systems. However, I'm not saying penile systems. But it was implanted. Systems. Anyways. A penile However, it still goes along the same lines. Because you have convicts and you have inmates. You have those who live by the convict code and those who don't. You know... And so, yeah, unless he held some sort of clout or superior, uh, superior stance in that system, then he's not going to get away with shit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I would think that even if he did hold some clout. Yeah. I at mean, he have to day, hold a substantial amount of clout. At the end of the day, nobody wants their life disrupted. It's bad enough. You, know, they, you have to think. Yeah, because there's always a prison. coup waiting yeah. to happen. You know, you're you're already in prison. Yes. So you don't get a lot of freedoms to begin with. So maybe the, the, the cell doors are open for, let's say, eight hours a day. Just to, just to throw out a number, because I don't know how long they're open. They can be open all day and night for all I know. But, yeah, uh, it depends on where you're at. But let's just, for argument's sake, like, sake let's say eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. Well, now Dayton has been busted a few times for beating the crap out of his cellmate. Yeah, and everybody's in lockdown for a couple days. Yeah, for a couple of days, they're locking you down. That one small freedom that you had. 
to leave your cell and walk around and maybe go sit at a table in, you know, in, in your cell block or talk to your neighbor or, or something like that. Now that's taken away from you. How yeah. do you think that's going to fly? I know me personally. If it happened to me. Yeah, what little bit of freedom you do have taken away? Oh, it's yeah. on like Donkey Kong. I'd be looking at him going, okay, you know what? We're going to resolve this problem now. Yeah. Right now. Because I'm going to make sure this guy's not going to be responsible for taking away my freedoms. If if I do something to take away my freedoms, that's different. Yeah, totally. But, you know, this dude's doing something and I'm getting punished for it because this guy's a butthole. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's my whole thing. I, and I, I don't. I don't think that he poses a problem in prison. Yeah. So, and then Cochran, who's also studied many serial killers over the course of his career and was a consultant on the Green River Task Force, said that the very act of murder can be very pleasurable for a sexually sadistic person such as Dayton Leroy Rogers. He said, if you compare with normal, everyday sexual experiences, there's no comparison. It's like this... He, he went on to say that it's like this extreme high, almost, right? That it's second nature to these people who have become used to it, and they develop a sexual bond to the murder weapon that they use. Um, and we've heard it referred to, I mean, that the knife is, in fact, a phallic object for a lot of serial killers. Yeah, that's why you see a lot of damage yeah. to, with knives and vaginas. Yeah, exactamundo. So in arguing that Dayton's life be spared, Burris, his attorney, said that his client was, okay, here we go again, was a sick man who should be locked away, but not put to death, right? He's, okay. Yeah, and he said that Dayton's good prison record, that he was a model prisoner who helped establish church services and has experienced no conflicts with other inmates, suggests that he would not carry out a deliberate act such as that in prison. So he would be of no threat. Yeah, exactly, because this dude sees what, what yeah. I'm seeing. Yeah. You know, and Dayton knows that. Dayton knows in his head, I don't care how bad he wants it, okay? Let's yeah. say there's somebody smaller, more slight than he is, and who who is willing to do it. He knows, though, if he causes a ruckus, it's not the guards. It's not the guards that's going to get that, that's gonna get to him. Because, yeah, he's going to have to deal with the guards, but at the end of the day, you took away somebody else's freedom, that neighbor, that big guy who weighs about 310, 320, who works out all the time, he's going to Or doesn't even work out. Yeah, the, the dude's just naturally yeah. big and meaner than a, than a bag full of rattlesnakes. He's going to wait. That's such a hillbilly term, but yeah. And it's going to be ticking in his mind. Hey, man, this dude here took away my free time, my yeah. freedom. My, my the, the little piece of, of mind that I have. The normalcy that I have in here, yeah. And he took it away. And guess what? He's gonna he might not beat his ass to death, but at bare minimum he's gonna check him across the head with an elbow. There's a quick yeah. bam, and it's going to be a little tiny thing. This is just from what I understand, because I've talked to some prisoners. You I was going to say, yeah, um, I know of one instance, and I was actually there to witness it, where some guy checked another guy on the weight yard, and, like, yeah, it wasn't a pleasant sight when he... That other guy came out, <laughs> right? And then the, so, the message is going to be delivered. Like, yeah. you ever take that away from me again? This is a warning shot. Yeah, because next time it's not a check. Next time I'm stepping on your throat. Yeah, type of a thing. So, well, yeah, and Iglesias actually, this is what the Iglesias said when he was addressing the jury, like in for it in his bid to get the death penalty. He said in reference to Dayton Leroy Rogers, he can in every respect, including his appearance, walk among you without giving any indication of the horrors that are within him. Dayton Leroy Rogers is a walking time bomb. He is an act 
he is an act of criminal violence looking for a place to happen. He's capable of fooling psychologists. He's capable of fooling psychiatrists. I hope to God he's not capable of fooling you. I, 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 I agree with that. To I, some extent, yeah. But I don't think that he's a threat if he's locked away. You know, now yeah. granted, I'm 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 pro death penalty in certain cases. You know, but I think that with Dayton, Dayton is a good example of somebody who should be studied, right? To really oh. understand that type of mind. Oh yeah, totally. Well, and it's like check this out though, the jury actually deliberated for over seventeen hours. God damn! And apparently, it was a grueling deliberation where they went over all of the evidence with a fine tooth comb. And they said that unanimously, he not only deliberately murdered his victims without any provocation, but they also determined that he was a continued threat to society, whether he was in prison or not. So he was immediate. Judge Begley sentenced Dayton Leroy Rogers to death by lethal injection. Okay. And so according to Detective Turner, he said it was a righteous justice, a solemn, and he was solemn faced when he said righteous in a sense that an all female jury convicted him and decided his fate, which I understand that point right there, you know, because look at who his victim pool was. Okay, I, I understand that, but I still don't think that it's fair. Well, and um, I'm not going to get into a whole lot of, about this. I mean, we just know that to this day, the no, the sixth victim, victim number six, has still been unidentified, but. Um, we'll probably have a follow-up on this because we're still trying to gather some more information on, on his case, you know. But his death penalty has been overturned and returned five times. Oh, my God. It has reached a record in Oregon history that the death penalty has been overturned and then reassigned five separate times on Dayton Leroy Rogers. Damn, it's like they're playing the Wheel of Fortune game yeah, or something. Yeah, and last I heard... his. His death sentence was overturned, and he was seeking parole. But then I could be mistaken on that one, so I'm not going to don't, don't quote me on that one. I don't think that he should be getting parole. Oh, even he won't at, ever get even parole. as old as he is. He's in his sixties. Yeah, he won't ever get parole. But I I think the last it was, and like I said, we're still gathering more information, so don't quote me on it. Is that his death sentence has been overturned five times? And I can't remember if he's got the death penalty now or if he's trying to get parole now or if they're trying to reassign the death penalty. I can't remember. It's it's all convoluted. But, yeah, he, he holds a record in Oregon justice system as being the most overturned death sentence in the state of Oregon. Damn, it's a juggling act. Is that all you got for I, this one? That's all I have for him right now, yes. All right, boys and girls, remember, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out. on Check out the website first, which is www dot twisted blue llc.com check us out on medium crime beat on medium and wherever you get your blogs just type in at brutal nation we'll pop right up get the full story without any of my bs thrown in there but you might like my bs too but you might like the story just just give it a try what do you got to lose i'm pretty sure that y'all can read well except well, for you you know who i'm talking to they actually you. have a feature where you can listen to it too so oh well there you go even the ones that are morons who can't read you know, they you know who I'm talking it. about. Yeah. You, right there. Right Cheeto there. Cheeto hands. Yeah. <laughs> in the beanbag chair, you know. You're buck naked <laughs> eating Cheetos right now in a beanbag chair. Yeah. Yes, yes, you. Yes, we're talking about you. <laughs> Don't be looking around like can't be talking about me. Yes, you. Yeah, exactly you. <laughs> That's right. You. <laughs> you can listen to it. You don't even have to read it. 
Enjoy yeah. your Cheetos. <laughs> Hopefully they're <laughs> don't not get soggy. Don't your screen all did dirty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and don't sue, don't sue Frito Lay. <laughs> this show's copyrighted 2022 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved, and we will see you guys later. Remember, if you're hearing this on anybody else's YouTube channel or podcast, they are lying, thieving, stealing bastards. Kick them in the nards. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.